Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that does for comic book movies what Shuri would have been able to do to Ultron. I'm Joe Cunningham and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... James Hunt and Amon Woman. Hey, buddy, you're back. <laughs> I am back. Good when, to be back. When were you last with us? When was it? Iron was Fist, it, it Iron Fist? I think you might be right. Yeah, because yeah. we didn't we didn't end up doing one for the defend the defenders. <laughs> yeah, uh-huh. we all got too depressed. <laughs> we might still we might still try at some point, but we haven't done Punisher either. And I, I just maybe when there is a. There's a Marvel Netflix show that moves the needle for me. <laughs> like, will up the strength to get people back in again. I, I literally was saying to James that episode, I was like, if we do it, could can I like be on the line but just not say anything? That was a genuine request from me. <laughs> We've got nothing to say to the defenders other than shrug, and that doesn't work in an audio medium. Uh, but I'm on you are back for uh, to, to talk Black Panther. Yes. How many times have you seen it? Uh, it is currently on five. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> How many more times are you planning to see it? I think I might be done now. I was going to go and see it with my sister and her friends last night, um, but I didn't in the end. Um, but yeah, I've seen it a fair few times. Now. I could probably quote most of the film to you verbatim. Um, <laughs> Love but, it. Uh, but yeah. So we're going to have a very well-informed discussion at the the very least. (laughs) At the very least, yes. Me and James would be like, and at that part when such and such happened, you were like, right, do you mean when T'Challa says this and then that and then that happens and we're like... Basically, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so this week we will skip the latest comic book movie and TV news and instead uh, we'll dive... Um, to begin with, into a spoiler-free discussion of Ryan Coogler's 2018 movie Black Panther, um, and then we'll give you a spoiler warning. Anyone who hasn't seen the film and wants to avoid the spoilers uh, can depart at that point, uh, and then we will go deep into our spoiler-filled discussion, and I'm thinking that this one could last a while, so see you in two to three hours, listeners. But before any of that, uh, listeners, you'll know that I am a comic book expert at this point. Um, <laughs> but James, can you tell me something that I don't know about vibranium? I can. Do you know? I don't know. You might actually know this because you've read Avengers Assemble. But do you know there are two types sure. of vibranium in the Marvel Universe? And they uh, do completely different things. Mm, I, I, <laughs> I mean, maybe I read this, but no. Tell me, tell me about vibranium. Okay, so in the Marvel Universe... Uh, in of the comics, I should say, not the movies. Um, there is Wakandan because, vibranium because there's a distinction. Is there a distinction between well, the yeah. comics and the movies? Vibranium. Okay, so to start with, in the movies, it seems like vibranium is basically fulfilling the role of adamantium, which is you know under license to Fox. In that vibranium is just the strongest metal in the world. 
Yes. Um, but that's not the case in the comics because no, in, Adamant, because Adamantium yeah. is. Yeah. So in the comics, um, vibranium's major property is that it absorbs vibrations, um, which is how Captain America's shield is so strong, and how the Black Panther does things like creep around without any sound because the vibranium in his costume absorbs the sound waves. Yeah, that's cool. Um, now, that's Wakandan Vibranium, but there's also Antarctic Vibranium, wow. and that, despite having the same name, has a completely different property, which is that when it vibrates, it disintegrates other metals. It's called antimetal. Does it disintegrate adamantium? <clears throat> yeah. Uh, ooh, ooh, I think maybe ooh. it can't disintegrate adamantium. But every other metal. Okay, so are we? Um, does it does it come from the same place in the comic? So Black Panther kind of establishes that it's like some form of ancient meteor. Yeah, yeah. In both cases, that's true. So presumably, and, and so presumably, then adamantium comes from the Marvel, the the, ga- the galaxy somewhere, and maybe some guardians. No, could find actually, some more adamantium of it. is an alloy that was created on Earth. Um, oh, just through a special process. But it's important to point out that Captain America's shield is an alloy of vibranium and the metal that adamantium was trying to recreate. Because some people occasionally say Captain America's shield is vibranium-adamantium alloy, but it's not. It is a different metal that adamantium was created when they were trying to copy it. Do you think... Steve Rogers should really be taking that shield back to Wakanda. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I mean... When in the in the Infinity War trailer, when T'Challa says, someone get this man a shield, do you think he means, because I've taken his last one and I'm keeping it, so get him a new one <laughs> that he hasn't stolen from us? I mean, when you're talking about the theft of cultural artifacts, I do have a point to make about that on the actual discussion, so maybe we should start moving on. Okay, where do you work, James? <laughs> I work at the British Museum. <laughs> As I think uh, John Oliver once described it, the uh, <laughs> the largest open crime scene <laughs> in the world. <laughs> Ryan Coogler, I think, definitely agrees. <laughs> okay, uh, do you want us to leave that in or cut that out, James? <laughs> <laughs> no, you can leave it. <laughs> I was watching this film and I was going, oh, James is the villain of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, fantastic. Well, let's dive straight in. We are going to go uh, spoiler-free to begin with, so we'll just kind of talk about our general thoughts about the movie before we, as always, you know, ruin where all of the Infinity Stones are and what have you. Um We'll do we'll do that in a short amount of time, uh, but I think it's only fair to talk to the man uh, who was more excited for this movie than anyone else in the country, um, but, but perhaps the world. Amon, tell us what you thought about Black Panther. Did it live up to all of your expectations? Well, first of all, Joe, I wasn't that excited about this movie. <laughs> you know, I was I was planning to catch it on Netflix, and no, I'm joking. Um. <laughs> Yeah, now super excited for this movie, and it mostly did live up to my expectations. It, huh, 
it's a special movie in so so many ways. Um, where where do I begin? I think for me, I mean, I've, I've watched it a few times now. The attention to detail is something which I keep coming back to. It's really really impressive, and every time I've watched the film, I've noticed other things which just make it even more special. The the, the attention paid to to it being authentic in almost every department is just really, really great. Um, and then you obviously factor in the performances, which are great. The themes of the movie, which are more weighty than, you know, most blockbusters, let alone any super blockbuster. Some of the stuff they get into with this film, um, you know, you have to sort of stop yourself. You have to ask yourself, this is a Marvel movie? It's it's really impressive. <laughs> um, so I, I think that there's one sort of uh, area which... I think was mostly good, but could have been better, which sort of stopped me from giving this film sort of the full five marks, which we'll get into. Um, Not enough white people. <laughs> you nailed it, Joe. Nailed it. <laughs> um, but uh, overall, I was very, very satisfied. And I've never sort of had felt so much pride watching a movie before. Um, and I think, you know, if you look, look online and see... The stories you see, how people are dressing, you see the reactions, the tweets, the Facebook, the to the you know, almost the the the, the support this film is getting from certain quarters. I think mm. um, I think definitely a lot of pride about it too, and and all of that contributes to this film being a very spe- special experience. And that's the thing that's, which is keeping me coming back, and which I think will be keeping others coming back in the coming weeks. Yeah, I um, so I saw this at the BFI IMAX on opening night on Tuesday, and um, you know, amazing cinema to see uh, a big blockbuster movie like this in. <laughs> uh, but also, it's one of those cinemas where um, you know, always you get a guy who comes to the front before the movie and introduces it. And the guy came to the front and he was like, "Wow, the melanin that I'm feeling in this room right now is <laughs> just like this is a special, special moment for the like that I just didn't think that I would see in a cinema." And um, you know, it did. It did. The the energy in the room felt different from from anything I've experienced before. And um, yeah, it's just. I mean, the the fact that this movie exists and the fact that it's good is so so important. And uh, before, James, we get into my thoughts and your thoughts on the movie, I just wanted to read this. Um, Black Panther's opening day, it earned $75.8 million, including $25.2 million from Thursday previews. That's the third biggest superhero opening day in history behind only the Avengers and Avengers Age of Ultron. Um, it's the second biggest pre-summer launch behind Batman v Superman of 81 million. That's obviously a movie that uh, made all its money in the first three days and then did very little since. It's the I top single day gross for a solo superhero movie. The biggest single day for a movie not helmed by a white male ever. The eighth biggest opening day ever and the biggest single day ever for a non-sequel movie. Holy shit. You know, and that is that is in North America. That That's not worldwide and I'm gonna be you know waiting on ten sets to see how this film does kind of once you once you take all the territories into account but you know this is clearly a movie that so many people were waiting for um so much so that some people are having to see it five times <laughs> <laughs> well i mean just 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 a quick word on that watching this at 
the the UK premiere. I mean, I I was joking with a few sort of people beforehand that you know, I'm obviously the the the, the there's a difference between the press screening and watching this movie with an all black audience. Just in terms of there's a difference. It's like going to an English buffet and an African buffet. Both of them are called buffets. But only one of those buffets, <laughs> only one of those, only one of those buffets has, you know, fried chicken, plantain, jollof rice. It's not the English buffet. And I thought <laughs> that watching this, you know, at the UK premiere, I'd have to go and find, um, another sort of, you know, when it comes out, go and watch it with like a predominantly black audience. I had no idea that the UK premiere was going to be me watching a film with a predominantly black audience. I have never seen so many black people come out. For a press screening or premiere, anything. I mean, I've been this, I've been I've been a UK film journalist for around seven years. Most of the time, I'm one of maybe two black people in the room. Yeah, um, I mean, just like to just to quickly just to quickly in when like I was at the same press screening as you. Yeah, and I remember thinking like every black critic in London must be at this screening because like I just like so many people that I'd never seen before turned up for that movie and that's like indicative of the level of excitement yeah yeah but that's i think that's also important that you know it's not just that this movie is you know important in the fact that it is a big blockbuster movie with and and not just a black because i mean we we've had lots of big blockbuster movies with black leads i mean will smith and denzel were two of the you know biggest stars in the world for the best part of two decades um but it's it it feels different that this is a movie of this scale with a predominantly black cast. I don't know if you, I don't know if that's something you'd agree with, Amon. But it not not just that this is the first like black lead superhero character, but it it feels. I don't know. I, I'm I'm trying to think of movies that have been made with this kind of budget and this kind uh, this kind of scale. That have, you know, it's uh, not just it's not just been a black guy with like a bunch of white guys around him. Yeah, it's no. a cast that is, you know, from the top down. Yeah, there's two white guys in it, and yeah. <laughs> there's there's no precedent for this movie. I mean, I we we have to give our due respect to Blade, and obviously there's only there's you know definitely other sort of superhero movies which had black leads in them, but Blade not only is it sort of one or one black guy, one black female surrounded by um ton of white people. It also mm. came out at a time where, you know, super movies were in there and they did. They were coming off of Batman and Robin, which is widely regarded <laughs> as one of the worst super movies of all time. Mm. And Marvel are, from, in my, in my mind, Marvel have surpassed Star Wars as, you know, the biggest sort of thing in movies right now. Um, so, you know, they're at the height of the cultural zeitgeist and having this movie come out predominantly black, as you say, not only in front of the camera, but behind the camera too, with, you know, Ryan Coogler, a director with whom sort of, you know, we, we all love, cause, you know, Creed for me is one of, the, one of the best movies of the past half decade or so. I think it's magnificent. Mm-hmm. Freebell Station is great. And, you know, that, this is why I've been saying for like the past sort of, couple of months, I would not be surprised if when all is said and done, the numbers for Black Panther are right there with Avengers Infinity War, because there's a huge audience coming out for Black Panther, who have not seen any superhero movie, let alone any Marvel movie, they're not seen it, but they're coming out in droves in force for this movie. And there's going to be some crossover between that and Infinity War because Infinity War did a very smart thing in having the trailer be sort of 
70% Wakanda. But <laughs> the, there's, yeah. for, 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 for Infinity War, you need to have some Marvel knowledge because it's like a 10 year build up to this moment. Black Panther, you can come in having not watched any Marvel movie, but still understand everything which is going on. And the film is, is incredible in that regard because you're getting introduced to so many characters who we have not be, yet been introduced to yet, but they're still all three dimensional. They still all have fully realized arts in the, in the final act of the film. You know, you know who all, you, you know who, who they all are. You know what they're all trying to accomplish, which is incredible. It's an incredible feat of screenplay. Ma- so Marvel's got very, very good at doing that thing where they introduce elements that are going to be in future movies. And they, you know, and events will happen as important as to Charles' father dying. But when you actually watch the movie itself, you kind of don't have to have seen any of that because it's still going to be explained for you in the movie. And even mm-hmm. if you've seen it before, it doesn't slow things down, really. <laughs> it's just like, it's just part of the storytelling of that new movie. I mean, like, I, um... the fact that Claw is in this, I mean, what, three or four years after he's first, three years after he's first introduced in the MCU. <laughs> yeah. um, and like, he might as well have not been, but like it's pretty cool that he was, and you can and you can be like, oh yeah, that guy, I remember. <laughs> I I just want to jump back quickly and say like the thing I think that's interesting about Black Panther is that <clears throat> even though it's like it's obviously bringing out a black audience that wasn't previously watching these these films, but I think like Wonder Woman, it's also adding like also the existing audience of these films is interested in it. So it's not like, <clears throat> yeah, it's not like they've made a movie for a black audience that white people aren't interested in or invited to. And yeah. so, like, I think b- the reason Black Panther is going to be super strong is because you've got all the like traditional, like predominantly white male audience of Marvel movies going, yeah, I'll watch that, and then you've got all these new, you know, cinema goers who previously would not have been interested going oh these movies are for us as well let's go and see that yeah Yeah. and if anything like that i think as well that might feed into subsequent films like i think infinity war is going to get a huge bump from people who saw black panther as their first marvel film and went oh okay this is you know this franchise is for us too i'm gonna go and see that Mm. I mean, we did say... <laughs> Not so much that, Ant-Man, but... <laughs> when that first um, Infinity War trailer came out and it was so much set in Wakanda, I said to you guys, it reminds me of the confidence of making Loki the villain in the first Avengers movie. That you like, They must have been watching the rushes on Thor and going, I'll tell you what, the one thing that we are absolutely dead set on here is that this villain works. Mm-hmm. Let's use him for the biggest bloody movie that we're ever going to make. <laughs> Because, you know, that was the make or break one for them. And the Infinity War trailer just made me think, whatever happens in Black Panther, however that movie shakes out, I bet they are dead certain that Wakanda as a setting works and that that is something that they want to return to. And uh, yeah, yeah, that's the one. That was the, the thing that I walked away from the movie more than any character, really. I just went, oh, if I like even comparing this to other Marvel movies, like you walk away from the Thor movies and there's been three of them and you go, what is Asgard other than that like palace in the middle and a bridge? <laughs> and you just, you just don't get it. You don't get the society. You don't, you, you 15 minutes into this movie, you are like, wow, I know much, so much about Wakanda now and I want to know more about it. 
I loved all the business in the first half hour of this movie. I know some people have said it's quite slow. I know. I don't act. get that. I don't get that criticism at all. <laughs> it was honestly, it was my favorite part. <laughs> like, I, 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 genuinely, I loved the first half hour of this movie. I just, I, I loved digging into all the little bits of it that this is this tribe and that's that tribe and that's how this person relates to that person and that's this tradition of Wakanda and that's this history of Wakanda and that's why they have acted this way with the outside world and this is why it just all of it I was like yeah give me more of that and um and you know I was getting to meet new characters as that was going on I just I Give me more business. I love the business. I mean, part uh, of that as well is because it's like, this is stuff that you haven't seen before. Because it's like, if, you know, when a Thor movie spends 15 minutes telling you about the Norse gods, you're like, yeah, yeah, Norse gods, seen it 15 times. Like, you're just the, slowing me down. Whereas The best comparison I can think is Wonder Woman and Thermoskira, but I thought that this was infinitely more successful and that and yeah, well, know, again, I, I liked like, I liked what Wonder Woman did there. Again, mm. Greek mythology of any kind, like you've seen it before, whereas this takes like a kind of Afrofuturist bent that broadly speaking, unless you're into like a specific wave of Afrofuturist science fiction films, you're not gonna have seen anything like this before. No. Like just the idea of an African country that was never colonized, like it's, you know, colonized by yeah. Europeans, I should say. Yeah. Um, it's just a very simple concept that somehow has evaded popular culture outside of the comics for you know sixty years. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not only that, but to see a portrayal of Africa as this place of prominence where you know people are taking pride in you know, just their culture and everything else is something which we've never seen in, in a, a typical Hollywood movie doesn't portray Africa in that way, to put <laughs> yeah. it mildly. You get, high, <laughs> uh, you so, get either the like, people scrabbling in the dirt or noble savages and exactly. nothing in between. Exactly. <laughs> so, um, you know, to have that, that, that first sort of, the first time you see Wakanda when they go through, or... This isn't too spoiled. We've seen them try this, but um, when they go through sort of their cloaking and the, the trumpets come in and the music comes in, and you just see this incredible world brought to life by we have to mention their name, Hannah Beachler did an amazing dub designing this thing, um, and yeah, it's it's incredible, incredible. So um, I think everyone's got probably a rough idea of what we all thought of it, but James. How how does your like like love for this compare to Amon? Where does it sit for you in kind of MC, <laughs> I mean, in the MCU? If anything, I might have liked it more than him. Like this, <laughs> of all the like of my Marvel rankings or whatever, Black Panther is the only one other than Avengers and Iron Man three. I would definitely give five stars to. It's definitely in my top three after those two. Wow. So I just I need to see it again to reevaluate, but based on the first viewing, I think it's going to get better the second time. If anything, like, I'm on. Where's it, it go for you in it. that? Is it is it in the top three? It's a top three. I don't even like Civil War and Winter Soldier above this one, um, for reasons we will get into. But <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it's definitely top tier Marvel. It does. So many things better than any other Marvel movie. Um, <clears throat> there's just one sort of part of the superhero movie cocktail I don't think it quite manages to do as well as we've seen from this franchise before. Um, yeah. 
But other than that, I mean, thematically, it's better. The screenplay is right there. The acting, you know, is right there with the best of what we've seen from Marvel. Um, it's, it's an incredible movie in very, in, in many, many ways. And I, I'm, I'm very looking, I'm looking forward to our spoiler discussion. <laughs> I mean, it's funny as well, because I, I was literally, for the last sort of year, I've been like, I mean, like my, my top five Marvel films for ages haven't like nothing released since 2014 cracked them and i was like oh is it you know has it peaked is it just going to be more of the same more of the same more of the same and then this came out and like blew me the fuck away <laughs> and so i'm just i'm really excited about the marvel cinematic universe again because i'm like oh there's still there are still places to go and things that we haven't seen that you know can be can give you the thrill that Avengers originally did or that Iron Man 3 in my case did like mm. there's still stuff to come mm. yeah um, I, I, I worry that I, I didn't enjoy this quite as much as you guys but I should check that by saying I did really love it I went on kind of a, a weird little uh, roller coaster after I saw it that I, I saw it and I kind of uh, I was I was pretty high on it and then had a post screening chat with Reese, uh podcast Reese, contractually obligated to be mentioned on every podcast. <laughs> and um he was a little bit more down on it and I kind of agreed with a few of his points and I and I and I was like, eh, okay. And like not that he didn't like it, but he was just like, yeah, I guess it just didn't hit the expectations. Cause I mean the the expectations and the hype for this movie was so high. Um and then I, sp- I spent a couple of days thinking about it and listened to uh, another podcast um, that was discussing it and kind of went, do you know what? I, I kind of think that I took for granted a lot of the things about the movie that I knew I was going to like or kind of expected to like. So that when I was thinking about my quibbles for the movie, I was like, yeah, I, OK, I, I, I have an issue, a little bit of an issue. There's a couple of things. I wonder how long we're, we're going to have the uh, whether we're going to be talking about the same thing once we get into spoilers. <laughs> um but um, there was there was a there was a few things, and I, I have to admit I, a, a tinge of disappointment. And I just wonder whether I am hoping for too much from my Marvel movies. That when I, I and this was the same problem I had with Civil War when you introduce really interesting thematic discussions, that you actually spend some time in the movie discussing them. And I wanted a little bit more of that from Black Panther in its second half. Um, that I. That I I I just I, I don't know I don't know whether movies these kind of movies are ready to are ready to dig into those themes in depth yet or whether it is enough that this movie is is bringing forward these these thoughts and these arguments and putting them to an audience and saying think about it. Um, that's kind of interesting. Uh, may, may, maybe that, that is enough. That's the point. That that's the thing that I love is that it does have these big ideas and these big themes. And it's sticking them out in popular entertainment. Like, oh it's yeah, not, no, I, it's not a Transformers yeah. movie. In that, <laughs> it's just about nothing but CGI robots fighting. Like, but yeah, I think like for me, I, ad- I, I, I absolutely adore the fact that yeah, they're there, James. I, but I didn't I just... expect it to go beyond that. And so maybe that's the difference between you and me is that I think this is like this is as complicated as you're going to get out of a blockbuster movie. I think Ryan Coogler is capable of it, though, and you know, I think a Black Panther two. Uh, could absolutely do that because uh, you know again without spoiling where this movie goes I just think the status quo by the end of the movie means that 
um, if you're not having those, if you're not continuing to have those conversations and continuing to look at those same ideas in a sequel, then you know you're you're doing you're doing yourself a disservice. So, um, so yeah, I kind of ultimately came back full circle on the film and went, yeah, do you know what? I shouldn't have. <laughs> I was like, I I was kind of like letting the little niggles bring me down, and I, you know, just underappreciating some of the stuff like. I kind of like. I expected Ryan Coogler to make a gorgeous movie that um, that you know made Wakanda seem like one of the most interesting worlds created on screen for a long time. So I kind of just took it a little bit for granted, you know. Um, and I think as well, it's another one of those movies that I, I think most of my quibbles are in the last twenty minutes or so. Um, so they were kind of what was fresh. And then what I loved the most was the first half hour. In fact, I loved the first half hour. I loved the second half hour just as much. So I, lo- I loved it when it became a Bond movie for half an hour, because I always do. <laughs> I if just we can't to... have a black James Bond, Marvel will give us one. I was just going to say, you mentioned the expectations for this movie. And I just wanted to sort of say, it would be nice if we could get to a stage where this sort of film was normal because the expectations for this movie oh, whilst yeah. whilst understandable they were very unfair because any other MCU movie <laughs> yeah. any, any other superhero movie all, they, all the director has to worry about is making a good movie this movie had to worry about doing about 50 different things and satisfying like a whole culture of people and you know so many other things besides and it's still largely the fact that it still largely did that on a big way in a big way is you know incredible on its own but it would just be nice if hollywood can now work towards making this sort of thing normal yeah i think you're right as well i'm I'm on it It, the exploring the themes that it brings up i do wonder whether like i was like oh well so this so this is like the first big huge budget black superhero movie um it's bringing up these ideas and I kind of like I want it I want it to delve into all of them because I haven't because no other movies have had a chance so I kind of <laughs> wanted this movie to do it all itself um and again yeah it's probably an unfair expectation to place on the movie uh, yeah I, I I think in retrospect looking back and you know some of the lines um that are spoken aloud in this movie you're like holy shit did, was that yeah. just a line that was spoken in a superhero movie um <laughs> And, I, and I, I also kind of like how it kind of defies any, like, clear parallels. I haven't seen it, but I've heard that Chadwick Boseman has kind of, like, very eloquently explained why he doesn't think that this is a clean Malcolm X, Martin Luther King uh, movie, in, you know, in the in the Killmonger-Chachala relationship. Um, and I think it's, it's easy to make that comparison watching it, but, I, you know, I, I don't think it does... I don't think it does exactly stand up because I think weirdly there's there's a lot more nuances and a lot more little quirks to the relationship and to the viewpoints of these two characters in this film and um yeah I like I like how it I like how there is a lot going on in the kind of the the central conflicts to this movie um yeah I was about to spoil something. I had to, <laughs> I had to stop my train of thought. <laughs> I think we might be nearing the spoiler discussion. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I think, uh, James, can we, can we, in the gap between our spoiler-free and spoiler-filled discussion, 
can we nip off and see the movie again just so <laughs> we don't seem like such fucking amateurs next to our <laughs> the second half. <laughs> we'll be we'll be back in uh two and a half hours. <laughs> okay, uh so yeah, we'll we'll take a, a quick break. We'll listen um to the trailer for the movie um and then we'll be back with our spoiler filled discussion of Ryan Coogler's Black Panther. This episode of Cinematic Universe is brought to you by our backers on Patreon. If you head on over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe, uh, you will see that we have revised our rewards and tiers system on there. And one of the changes we have made is that if you back us at the $20 level, we will plug something of your choice in this special section here, the this episode is brought to you by slot. So if you have a look, think, is there anything you would like us to promote on a future episode, then you can throw some cash our way via Patreon. And this is the point in the podcast where we will tell all of our listeners that this episode is brought to you by you. I have seen gods fly. I've seen men build weapons that I couldn't even imagine. Uh-huh. I've seen aliens drop from the sky. Yeah. But I have never seen anything like this. How much more are you hiding? Hold up. Let's go. 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 We are home. My son, it is your time. Show me my respect and bow down. You get to decide what kind of king you are going to be. Don't freeze. I never freeze. The revolution will not be televised. Show me my respect and bow down. We own you. I waited my entire life for this. The world's gonna start over. I'ma burn it all. What happens now determines what happens to the rest of the world. Okay, get ready for Black Panther spoilers. Um... I'm on. Shall we? Shall we see whether our big issue with the movie is the same thing? <laughs> yes. Yeah, so my big issue with the movie is the special effects. Are just ah, uh, it's it's so frustrating because there's so much that this movie does right, and special effects are like you know almost like the bread and butter of movies like this at this point. And some of the special effects are just not 
quite finished and it's quite clear to see, especially when everything else in the movie and everything else around it looks so tactile and real. There's special Wakanda, effects. Wakanda looks absolutely gorgeous, doesn't it? It's and you're amazing. Seeing this, you're seeing this action sequence go down on like this uh, in this Wakandan valley uh, with the Dora Milaje and and you know some of the warring tribes all like throwing down with each other, and it looks great. And then you're cutting down to this previs sequence that's happening underground, where like two CG Black Panthers who are only distinguishable by like purple and gold. Yeah. And and I I cuz I I really liked some of the I really liked some of the like the more tactile action stuff like I think some of the stuff in the casino early on looked good. Oh, yeah, no, the uh, beautiful but, long take in that sequence which is just well, wonderful. Even but even the even the long take I thought it was good when it got into the cuz it was obviously like a, a artificially created long shot but yeah, it yeah. was so once you zeroed into like a specific bit and like you had like um was it uh Denai Guerrero um throwing a wig at the at the guy and like there's there's little bits like that and little bits of like the hand-to-hand combat that's fun but the like the zooming between the bits I was like I, I was like wow I'm watching on one of the biggest and best screens in the country and this CG looks blurry like it 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 felt like there was a drag on it, and mm. <clears throat> yeah, I just I, I I thought that the action as soon as it got into any kind of like I think the the shot where a Black Panther jumps on top of the car looks really cool because that slowed down, but any time the Black Panther was moving in like full motion, I just, I just thought it looked pretty grim, yeah. and I and, and, I, and I, you know it's a problem that increasingly I think Marvel are having. Um, I'm struggling to think of. I, Doctor Strange maybe was the strongest in terms of its action sequences because it was doing something different. It was like the action was how the world was moving rather than the actual fighting taking place. But I can't like even going back to Civil War, I can't remember a Marvel movie where the big action sequences were satisfying. Oh no, I was very satisfied by the action sequences in Civil War. Um, they're all they're one plane of action on a on an on a airport <laughs> runway. No, well, the, no, well, the airport. I mean, I was, I love the airport fight, but the final fight in Civil War, I think, is a perfect balance of strong CGI and gritty, you know, hand to hand. I think you know the final fight is excellent in that movie, and it's also sort of very emotional for obvious reasons. Um, but yeah, with, with this one, you know, even when he's wrestling with the rhino, the war rhino, which is very cool, by the way, at the end, it just feels a little too artificial. There's there's one sort of bit of, of you know. No, not great CGI, which is negated by the fact that the moment itself is so cool and powerful, and that's when he jumps over the shields and does like a ground pound, and then picks up the spear and throws it at the um, the airplane, which is great. Um, and I always get <coughs> big big reactions at any time I watch it, in any time I've watched it these these past times. But again, the CGI in that bit, um, yeah. And you mentioned the fight between Killmonger and T'Challa at the end. It always it, it just reminds me of. The first time I think we've seen anything like that big fall, what I think is Spider-Man 2, which was what, 2004? And no film since who have sort of mimicked that has done it better than, than they have done in that film. And that was, you know, over a decade ago, which is insane. Um, and yeah, just to do it in this movie, um, which has got so many other things going for it. And again, when it's the bread and butter of, you know, the super movie, you think they would have, you know, fixed that by now. I'm not sure 
Um, I'm not sure if that, you know, if, if Ryan Coogler's, if, 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 if it's because it's Ryan Coogler's, Coogler's first time working with effects like these. I very um, much doubt else. Ryan Coogler has much to, uh, like, these movies, they must start building the action sequences. I mean, because, I mean, we, we said it about Thor Ragnarok. Taika Waititi probably didn't look at those action sequences <laughs> yeah. more than a couple of times. Kind of went, yeah. Yep, he did the storyboards and then he was like, well, I'll see you in 12 months. <laughs> a, a, a movie this big, I think it, it's, it would be naive to think that a director can be overseeing every aspect of all of it. And when you have action scenes like that fight down on the train track, I, I think... They kind of have to. They kind of have to be starting work on that, you know, probably a year or so before they even have a director on board. Kind of building the building the plates and and doing all like they know they're making a Black Panther movie. They're probably working on all that kind of stuff way in advance, and mm. I think it's I think it's hurting Marvel's movies pretty regularly now. Can I can I just present the counterpoint to this, which is that. I did not think about the CGI once while I was watching the film. I was just like, yeah, it's an action sequence and it's fine. Like, it's okay. It's good like where they all are. I wasn't looking at it going like, oh, it's not thrilling me. And I don't know if that's just a difference in how I watch movies because I don't think Black Panther was any better or worse than the sort of baseline Marvel movie. I just think that they had a better handle on his physicality and his sort of, you know, action capabilities in Captain America Civil War. Yeah, um, then they're doing that. this film, and oh, yeah, I, I think <laughs> I, I think that's partially because of the new suit. Um, I mean, the 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 suit we see in the, the first bit um, of this movie in the cool action sequence, by the way, is just too dimly lit, which is a little bit frustrating. Um, <laughs> yeah. But the suit the suit we see in Civil War it just looks more physically imposing, I guess, than the one than the new suit, which is still sort of very slick, uh, and, I, and I liked the you know the whole bit coming on. Nanotech suit type thing, which uh, I think Tony Stark's armor is going to mimic in Infinity War. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, um, I prefer, and action wise, I think T'Challa is just more formidable than he is in this movie, which is a bit of a shame. But I, I, I sort of get it because you know, at the same time, you need to put over these characters that T'Challa is going up against in a big way. You know, if if T'Challa beats Embarku <clears throat> too easily. Um, at that first fight, then that lessens the impact that character has. So I really liked I, I those fights, though. By the way, I really oh liked yeah, no, the, those the... those fights were great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was it was as soon as you brought the the CG suit element into it, and I've got to say, I just think that final throwdown between T'Challa and Killmonger is it's not it's not a very interesting setting. I mean, that that I admittedly think... did remind me of the first Spider-Man movie where Spider-Man and Green Goblin are fighting and you're basically watching a kid with like, sort of mashing two action figures together. <laughs> and yeah. I, I, I don't know what, it seemed like we went through a lot of kind of, a lot a lot of explanation of like how that, the train tracks and the sonic things and that this was going to do that and it was, it's just like, uh, do we need this much explanation just so we can see their... Could they not just take their masks off? And then we can see their faces while they fight. It felt like that. Why, why are we Why are we going through all these hoops to explain this action sequence? For like... I, I, and I think what you said about the the opening action sequence being a bit dimly lit as well, I'm on. Um, yeah. I, I kind of thought any time that the movie got into kind of nighttime, the the visuals got a bit 
a bit dank and a bit grubby. Whereas, Ooh, like, contrast I... that to when you're in Wakanda and it's, you know, you're, you're first, like you said, when you first see that land and some of the other sequences that are taking place there. Um, it's, yeah, you know... I disagree with that. I mean, I think the the car chase sequence is amazing and nothing about that was too dimly lit for me. Not when you got Dan Aguilera's flowing red dress standing out on screen in a major way. Um, yeah, that, that sequence I think was, was perfectly fine. Um, but yeah, the opening action sequence reminded me a little bit of the first time you see Batman and Batman Begins at the docks. <laughs> um, like you don't quite know where Black Panther is. It's a little bit frustrating. Um, but yeah, um, other than to that, the, the action is my only main gripe with this film. Uh, the, the only other thing I sort of brought up in my review is that it would have been nice if we had more of the, of the relationship between, um, Okoye and Wakabi, who's played by Daniel Kaluuya. Um, because they have a big moment at the end of the movie, but we haven't really seen them together, really. So it, this is, this is a very interesting one I'm on because I'm not sure if you saw that, um, Apparently, when um, press first went onto the set for the movie, there was uh, this kind of apparently flirtatious moment between Florence Kasumba's character and Tanaguerira's character, like that the Dora Milaje, that there was there was kind of some hint of um, flirtation or prior relationship between them, and that when press were on set, there was no mention of Okoye's relationship with the um Daniel Kaluuya character Wakabi and whether that whether that that is something that has been added in in the year since when Daniel Kaluuya has kind of taken off because of Get Out and that that is something that they've they've beef they've kind of like put that relationship into the movie as a bit of an afterthought because they know they're going to want more Daniel Kaluuya in sequels, sort of, which they didn't necessarily know before. I sort of think if that was the case, they'd have done a better job of it. Because it's like yeah. well, I, a line at the start and a line at the end, and maybe one glance in the middle. Like, there's so little of it in there. Yeah, but it's, it does that not seem like something you you would cobble together after the fact? And they definitely, I mean, like, uh, Florence Kasumba's confirmed that there, there was this kind of there was this flirtatious scene, it was one of her favourite moments in the movie, and that it, it was taken out. Well, that's yeah. Go ahead, Jess. I mean, uh, I, I. <laughs> yeah, sorry, you go. <laughs> I, I, I read that. Um, I, I definitely know what you're talking about there. Um, a part of me thinks it's definitely a shame that we didn't get to see that on screen. The other part of me thinks that if you know, if they were going to do something like that, I would hope that they would you know put enough screen time on it. For it to be meaningful, and if well, it wasn't going to be, if it wasn't going to, was just going to be like a, you know, a one flirtatious scene, like one small moment, then yeah. because I mean we've when it comes to when it comes to that sort of representation on film, which I think is important, I would rather if if you're going to do something like that, have it be sort of you know bake it into the screenplay, really you know have it be a key thing. As opposed yeah. to just a flippant thing, and I if, totally if, agree. If, but that's not yeah. that's not somewhere where we're at yet, is it? Because I mean, we l- look back at Thor Ragnarok, and Tessa Thompson's like, "Oh yeah, Valkyrie's totally bisexual," and that that Valkyrie in the flashback sequences, like that was her girlfriend. And you go, okay, but none of 
none of that made it into the final film. And I feel like we're getting a, a lot of kind of Hollywood movies. I mean, we've, we've just had the, you know, the Ferrari around, um, uh, what we may or may not see in the next Fantastic Beast movie about Dumbledore. There's a lot of this kind of nudging and winking and like talking off screen about, yeah, this, this character's totally gay or this character's bisexual or this or that. And then you get to the movie and you go, huh, Beauty, uh, Beauty and the Beast was another one, wasn't it? LeFou, he's, he's gay. Okay, I mean, there's kind of like one wink that he might be in the movie, like, like heaven forbid it be explicit. And I think that, yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, next time, do it and do it properly. And I do think it is a shame if Marvel made the decision that to beef up Wakabi because they wanted more Daniel Kaluuya, that they did that at the expense of uh, a potentially, uh, you know. A homosexual relationship <laughs> and yeah. cut that out instead I think it's I, I think it's a shame and I think it's just you know e- even in a movie like this yeah well probably a movie like this is, is the best way to do it to show up you see you see that Hollywood has a lot a long way to go just because Absolutely. this movie exists does not mean that all of the all of problems of representation have been solved <laughs> absolutely yeah um I don't want us to dwell on the negatives for too long, and so I think this will probably be a good point to pivot back into all of the things that we love about the movie. Um, but I had uh, one other problem with the film, and I expect that you're probably going to disagree with me, so I will just mm-hmm. present my point and then quietly step back and be shouted at. Um, T'Challa's like the least interesting character in this entire movie. <laughs> I kind of I watched this film and went well and 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 because I mean because the movie sets up such a great argument and such a great kind of philosophical counterpoint with Killmonger but when Killmonger became Black Panther I was just I was kind of like yeah okay now I've got a Black Panther with charisma give me more and then like I was like well I mean if 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 he can't come back yeah Lupita Nyong'o you you eat the heart-shaped herb or what about what about Shuri? She'd be awesome. And I'm like looking around and Mbaku, he's great. He's hilarious. And what about him? And I was just going, oh, I think I find every character in this movie more interesting than T'Challa. And, uh, you know, it, it was it was nice that in the movie where Marvel solved its villain problem, they went, let's have a hero one as well. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me why I'm wrong. I, mean, because I, saw I just part of me. James, James, you can go first. <laughs> say, part of me agrees with you in that I think T'Challa is. I. It's not that I think he's uninteresting, or that Chadwick Boseman is inherently. Oh no no no! Charismatic, which is something else I've seen said. No, I that's it's it's, it's, that. I have no problems with the performance whatsoever. Mm. Yeah, it's I th- definitely. Not I think that. it's more that as a character, he's got some fairly sort of weighty and not necessarily relatable concerns on him. Like none of us are the kings of a nation, you know, worrying about the split between our, you know, heart and duty or whatever. So I think yeah. those are quite lofty themes, and that's keeping him from seeming grounded as a character. Personally. I find that stuff really interesting because that's what I'm interested in about Black Panther in the comics. Like that sort of conflict and the idea that he is kind of elevated above sort of normal people's concerns to a large extent. 
I don't think it's even that I don't that I didn't find all of that stuff interesting. I think when I you, you know what I was saying about wanting to <clears throat> see the themes ex- explored with a bit more depth. I think I just I I wanted to I wanted to spend a bit more time with T'Challa and understanding his his like internal struggles but because the character is so insular because he is kind of like because he's regal and because he holds himself with this kind of like um constant sense of I I, I don't know is decorum the right word but like he's yeah yeah he's he he he, he is such an insular character and he he feels like he has the kind of responsibility of this whole country on his shoulders and sometimes I just thought there's so that like it, I mean it speaks to the strength of all of the sporting cast around him but I sometimes felt like ah, let let me in a little bit let me get a, let me get as close to this hero as I've been allowed to get to all of the other heroes yeah, I mean I I do think he's got the problem in the movies that Captain America has in the comics which is that there's no sort of question about his moral certainty no sort of internal conflicts like it's all it's all going on in his head but it's not something you can necessarily relate to or see in the character like he's just he's like a rock around which everything else diverts hmm. and so before before i uh get on stake on this um i yeah, it's it's not that I'm saying that I think the character is kind of like bad or beyond repair. I just I would like a bit more of him in a sequel, and I'd like I'd I just like to spend a little bit more time with him, kind of even under like because I think he does have internal conflicts. I think he does like he he is kind of like obviously having to listen to Killmonger's arguments and then kind of like look at his country and his traditions and like. <sighs> the you know kind of the state of this nation that he's inherited from his father and kind of all of the line of black panthers who've always done things a certain way but i never really felt like i saw him grappling with it because of the way that the movie the pace at which the movie moves after killmonger is uh, arrives at wakanda and we kind of t'challa is then gone and then he's back in its action and so this i i feel like maybe what I needed was maybe an extra scene, an extra five minute scene with T'Challa and Killmonger after T'Challa returns. Um, and it, yeah, and 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 the fact that Michael B. Jordan is just so damn good in this movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm on. Why am I wrong? <laughs> uh, I I love the journey T'Challa goes on, and um, before I sort of forget. I do think we get do get a scene of him grappling with. I think we get sort of a scene and a half, really. No, actually, we get two scenes and a half because, um, obviously, when the the half bit is when Forrest Whitaker Zuri, he's great, by the way. Um, oh yeah, he's great. Uh, he's great. Tells T'Challa the truth, and you see him sort of, you know, almost in disbelief at that moment, grappling with it. Yeah. Um, then you have the conversation with. T'Challa and Nakia in that beautiful sort of landscape. They do a wide shot before they zoom in on it. Um, and he's grappling with it there, you know, and then that's when the Nakia tells him that you can't, you know, even your father, as perfect as your father was, your father sort of made mistakes. He's really grappling with it there. And then... Doesn't she when, have one hell of a line in that scene? I can't, I, I can't remember it, but I'm sure I think, that... I think, I, I think it's you get to decide what king you're going to be, something along those lines. Um... But there's that scene, and then there's also the scene where 
T'Challa when he's coming back and he's in the he's in the ancestral plane again with his father T'Chaka and he's sort of you know telling him telling all his ancestors that they were wrong. That's a massive scene, and I think the journey that T'Challa goes here on here. It's interesting that you brought up Cap, James, because I think Cap, you know, no matter what, he'll stay Cap the same. And sort of that's, it's interesting sort of watching the world change around him and him still sort of sticking to being Cap. And T'Challa, it's similar, but not quite in that, yes, he's still T'Challa, but he, in this film, anyway, he goes, he still retains the core of who he is whilst changing, um, you know, still taking on Killmonger's arguments in a way. But just in a more altruistic way than what Killmonger was doing. That's an, that's a really interesting journey. It's a very it's, it's a tight rope to write. It's a tight rope to act. But I think uh, Bozeman he brings that nuance to the forefront in mm-hmm. in in a very uh, compelling way. I really enjoyed that. Yeah. See, I, I knew Danny was going to tell me why I was wrong. That's I mean that's a fantastic. I mean, you reminded me of scenes that I'd completely forgotten about. Um, so yeah, I can't can't argue with that. Maybe need to see the film again. Um, I just I just wanted I to add. It, so go ahead. Go on. No, go go go. I just wanted to add. I mean, I've, I brought up the attention to details. The first thing I brought up, and you know, watching it again and again, I noticed you know, the in Captain America: Civil War that one scene T'Chaka and T'Challa have, which I love. Uh, T'Chaka sort of touches T'Challa's uh, face with his hand, and in the movie they have young T'Chaka touch young T'Challa's face in the exact same way. They could have done absolutely nothing with that scene, but they brought it back and did it in such a way that they traced it all the way back to that's just a thing that which they've done since T'Challa was young. I thought that was incredible. Just that level of attention to detail was absolutely incredible. Yeah. I think... I think... The problem that, oh, the, the source then of my problem is it's entirely Michael B. Jordan's fault. Because <laughs> when he walks in, I mean, first of all, um, I questioned my sexuality for a solid three or four hours after this movie. <laughs> um, just staring longingly at pictures of Michael B. Jordan as uh, Killmonger. Um, wow. Um, <laughs> when, when he walks into Wakanda, um, and kind of puts his thesis on the table. Um, it's a really compelling argument. And I, I think it's it's one of those movies that kind of, because of the point that you get to with T'Challa at the end of the movie where he's like, yeah, do you know what? Wakanda does need to change. We need to reach out, but we need to do it in a specific way. So we kind of need to do what, what Killmonger wanted us to do, except like, Less without the, yes, with, with mm. less murdery, yeah. and you and you wonder like, oh, if when Killmonger walked in, and instead of like accepting the challenge, T'Challa had gone. Now hang on a second. Tell you what, we'll sit down in a room for a few hours. We'll have a chat. You give me your thoughts. I'll give you my thoughts, and then maybe we could rule together, cousin. You know, like that'd be would that work? And you think? I mean, it cuts away. The, all of the drama of the movie, but you know, I wanted to see those two guys work it out. I think they both had great. Well, that's points. like I was saying just before, where at the end of the film when he dies, I was like genuinely sad because I was like, what this film really needed was for him to live and be sort of brought into the Wakandan fold as like the voice of the outsider. 
like him being the guy who says like you know you guys are jackasses for not doing this yeah and, like obviously to learn the error of his ways but you know what and, he to, and for was to, to say for T'Challa to say hey that's a that's a great point eric but you know like the solution to fighting back against centuries of colonialism isn't more colonialism in the other direction. It's, mm-hmm. you know, um, so yeah, I, I think that, that was, it was just, he was, he was so damn good and he was so damn compelling. Um, well, like, like the best villains, he has a good point. And the yes. only thing you disagree on are the methods. I mean, the, the, the if the Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, comparison doesn't stand up fully and you know i'm i I haven't heard chadwick boseman explanation for that i'm willing to you know completely completely you know bow to his wisdom on that but i think the magneto professor x comparison does stack up really well um and magneto is a character who the x-men franchise literally cannot get away from because he casts such a large shadow over those movies and it wasn't just that when Killmonger dies at the end of the movie that I was disappointed. I was shocked that Marvel had killed him. Mm-hmm. What? Why, Amon? Why is Killmonger gone? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a fair point. He's a very, very compelling villain. And I I really liked the fact that the, the, the way the, the divide between African-Americans and Africans is, is illustrated between... Killmonger and T'Challa is very interesting. There's a couple of really telling lines when T'Challa goes to the ancestral plane. I think T'Chaka says, a man who has not prepared his children for his death has failed as a father. Um, and, yeah. you know, T'Challa, uh, it's, it's interesting because in the comics, T'Challa loses, um, T'Chaka at a very young age. And then obviously in this one in the MCU, um, T'Chaka is obviously quite old when T'Challa loses him. But, yeah. T'Challa is growing up in Wakanda, protected, sheltered. He's had all these lessons, whereas Killmonger grew up outside of Wakanda, lost his father when he was young, has been, has seen all the stuff that's happened to black people outside of Wakanda. Um, that, that dichotomy between those two characters is very, very interesting. Um, and And when he walks in, you completely understand the anger from that character's point of view. Like, that, aside from the fact of, you know, whether he believes that his father was unjustly murdered or not, I mean, and by the way, you guys, Sterling K. Brown. Oh my gosh, amazing. <laughs> oh, and when you get that scene in the middle when when Killmonger goes to the ancestral plane and you okay. cut back from him as a child to him as Michael B. Jordan, I was mm-hmm. like, holy crap, this is great. Um, but yeah, so even if you, you, you put aside all of that stuff, this is a character who has you know, lived in LA, fatherless for most of his life, has seen all the things that, yeah, that the, the black community has gone through there, and not just there, around the world, and then is aware of Wakanda and Wakanda's means, and, and is seeing them doing absolutely nothing to help. And so when he comes in, and he, and he challenges T'Challa, and, I mean... Aside from a little technicality, which I'm not sure I, I'm on T'Challa's side here, he, he loses fair and square. So, like Killmonger, he, he does everything right. He comes in, he wins the throne fairly. He is he has royal blood. 
um, you know, he, he, his, his claim is just. And through a bit of a sneak, T'Challa gets to come back and. and <laughs> I have disagree a that chance. it's a sneak because they specifically say. Yes, they do. <laughs> and neither happens. Yeah. <laughs> but so. it's like it's like it's like in that first act of the movie. They they there is like a moment where someone looks at the camera and goes. So just remember, if there's no death <laughs> or no yield, the challenge has <laughs> not ended. Please continue, guys. <laughs> We're just um, just based on what you've said there, actually, one of the things that I think isn't so strong about the film is that it's very American centric in like the way it speaks to the audience as if to say like you know like black oppression is bad and it's like well most countries are actually a lot further along than America in terms of you know the equality of black communities and I I sort of think you couldn't make this film in Britain uh, like I'm not saying there's no parallel, but I do think it's very American centric in that sense. Yeah, I, I, I think I agree with that. I think I agree with that. I mean, oh, it's a tough one to get into. It's it does it does it, it it's not like that that's the only part of it though because i mean colonialism does bear kind oh, sure, of like yeah. a heavy shadow as well and mm. this is where we get into why you're the villain of the movie james <laughs> um, <laughs> that scene at the start i was like where where is sorry what what museum have you said oh you so, know i, so I was literally presumably your employers didn't give them permission to film yeah, cuz i was going <laughs> i was sitting there going museum of great britain like the british museum is in a lot of movies why didn't yeah. they just use that? And then the scene <laughs> progressed, and I was like, "Oh, I get it." Like, yeah. Even if they had asked, it's not something. <laughs> I I don't speak for the museum. I should point out these are my. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Opinions, not the opinions of my employers. Yeah. <laughs> I can see why they might have turned that down had they been asked to appear yeah. in it. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it, that like two Marvel movies in a row have in in some way dealt with kind of the fallout of colonialism. Yeah, well, uh, that's what happens when you get non-white people to helm films and they bring their own cultural perspective to it. Yeah. And on on that point, I think we can sort of, you know, I mean, I, I've never really liked the criticism at all, but the the whole sort of, you know, directed by committee, Marvel films all look the same type thing. The last sort of three, four movies, it's sort of just proved that in a major way. And yeah. this one doesn't more than any other Marvel film before it, so... Just all the design in this film is fucking incredible. Yeah, it's really good. But I could have just I stared mean, at this movie forever. <laughs> the, 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 design, the costume design is gorgeous, the character design. I, I mean... That, that scene where they're all on the cliff during the coronation like, is oh, as amazing. visually breathtaking as anything I've ever seen in a Marvel film. Yeah. And like it's not even an action scene, it's just people standing around dancing and it is probably the best thing I've seen in God knows how many films. And the way that it the way that it brings in that Afrofuturism and it, it blends the technology kind mm-hmm. of seamlessly with the, the, the kind of more traditional African design. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah. Um absolutely gorgeous. And I, I think Ryan Kugler I'm I'm going to give him a pass on the action sequences. I, I mean, like, uh, yeah, again, compare this to Taika Waititi, who I think came in and did his thing on Thor Ragnarok extremely well, which was, I know my comedy and I am going to, uh, you know, I'm going to dial up that side of things in Thor, but I'm not really interested in integrating it into all of the business that I have to get through. Whereas Ryan Coogler creates a corner of the Marvel Universe that I think is more interesting than any other corner of the Marvel Universe that we've seen so far. This this world I just wanted to know more about and I want to see this world have to interact with the rest of the Marvel Universe. I want to see... Not, not just the Marvel Universe, I want to see kind of like the Ryan Coogler's vision of how a country like Wakanda would end up interacting with the rest of the world. That 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 UN scene at the end, um, I was like, "Oh, I mean, this this feels like as much of a new beginning and as much of a kind of fresh opportunity for Marvel as anything." Because I was watching that last scene, going, "This is Black Panther's version of I Am Iron Man at the end yeah. of Iron Man One. This is going, oh hey, we're Wakanda mm-hmm. and we're a lot more than you think." Yeah, um, and that 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 scene, it's one of my favorite post credit. MCU scenes for so many reasons, but oh, uh, just, can we uh, can we just talk about how it should not have been post credits? Yeah, really, yeah, like, really <laughs> crucial scene in the movie. That was. I, uh, well, I I I agree and I disagree because yes, I mean it's because I mean I'm sure James is about to mention that we actually saw a bit of that scene in the trailers, but um, <laughs> the the actual ending of the film is really it resonates in a big way too. Um, and I get why they went with that one and then went with this one for the post-credit scene. But that post-credit scene, it just goes back to the pride element for me. Because like even before I knew what pride was, I or how to articulate it, you know, I felt it. You know, I felt it when watching the Justice League Unlimited cartoons and you know, John Stewart, Green Lantern, the Black Green Lantern kicking ass. I and I felt it when watching Twenty Four and watching David David Palmer played by Dennis Hayes, but I think one of the best TV presidents of all time. Um, you know, I felt it watching that. And actually that, the post credit scene in Black Panther reminded me a lot of sort of 
um, sort of a black president type feeling. Um, it just filled me up with pride. And to, to see a figure like that talk in that manner was really cool to me. You sort of, you could have swapped around that and the scene in LA. I, like, you could have had either of those in place of the other. Yeah. I'm just yeah. jealous. I'm jealous of my mum's pride. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, we get all the representation, but I don't get to feel that pride. <laughs> uh, so, uh, if I got pride to feel, like <laughs> Yeah, unfortunately, you were born 42, 40 years too late for the white pride movement. <laughs> yeah, all of my, all of my white working to middle class British counterparts who have just voted as out of the EU. Great. Fuck you now. God, you get everything ammo. <laughs> <laughs> um should we should we dig in some specifics from the film, some other stuff that we liked? Because I feel like sure. um what yeah, oh yeah, so we've we've talked about some a, a lot of the stuff that was going on, but not maybe not many of the specific plots and the specific characters. So yeah, let's talk about Shuri who is Oh, the best. But this, okay, the this best. is again like I keep saying like oh you, there's stuff in this film you haven't seen before like show me the movie that has teenage girl Tony Stark who is also black like it just doesn't exist does it? Yeah, there's so many things where we've never, we've never seen a dark skinned African woman speak Korean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we've never seen you know dark skinned. African women kicking ass the way they do here, working together as a unit. And the fact that nobody, I mean, you know, it, it's not really spoken of in a, in a feminism way. It just is. Because it's normal yeah. for them. Because mm. that's how Wakanda is. Yeah. It's just yeah. a wonderful thing. Wonderful thing. And I, I, was, I was thinking as well, you know, you've got... You've, you've got a lot of superhero movies that deal with daddy issues. And Black Panther is going to have to have that going on in it. But you know how you avoid that being like a, oh, God, again? <laughs> you have him having, like, an actual relationship with his mother and sister who are on screen. Yeah, an actual family. Yeah. Like, how easy would it be for Angela Bassett not to be in this movie and mm-hmm. for Ramonda to be dead? Yeah. Yeah. Or, or like, uh, I, I don't know, for her to get a short shrift as um, uh, Rene Russo gets in the Thor movies. <laughs> um I, I I loved that she was kind of a crucial part of the stuff going through, and that, like I was thinking, when have I seen a superhero have a not even just a relationship with, but a realistic relationship with his sister? Like that's not a thing that I I feel like we really get to see. <laughs> I mean, Fantastic and- Four is the obvious place where that does happen, but that's sort of the selling point of Fantastic Four is that it's the family superhero film. Yeah, and also in in those movies, it's never it's. It, I, I mean, you can tell me they're brother and sister, but I don't know if I've ever in any of those movies gone. Yeah, yeah, that's that's something that I believe, or I think is as important as the fact that the the two leads are in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just just so many of the characters in here. I was interested in the way that they related to each other and the way that they fit into this world of Wakanda. Um, well, that bit where she, where Shuri speaks up during the challenge, and like on the one hand, mm. if you're a comics nerd, you're going, "Oh shit, are they doing?" No, <laughs> no, they're not. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> what they're doing instead is setting up this, like, you know, 
interesting relationship where she's the one who says to him things that other people are too scared to because she's his sister and you know she knew him when he was a kid before he was king mm-hmm. whatever yeah mm-hmm. and we and we sidestep all of the origin story stuff with this as well because it i, I know you've seen t'challa as black panther before but you know briefly and as part of a much bigger separate narrative like this feels simultaneously origin movie and not because it is as introdu- it is introducing us to all of the kind of the mythology and kind of and and seeing him essentially become black panther by being coronated um but by stuff as simple as like all of these relationships being pre-existing and the fact that he is kind of he's already in the suit the fact he's got powers they what the powers actually are themselves not that important because all, all of the other stuff and all, all of the politics and all of the internal machinations of Wakanda are more important. And I just loved something as simple as like Shuri and um, Nakia having the kind of the gag when they first meet in this movie about whether T'Challa had, th- had frozen or not during that first action <laughs> sequence. <laughs> you know, that just, just what that tells you about to get like, you know, th- here is ex-girlfriend and younger sister who have this playful relationship with each other because, as a 16-year-old girl, Shuri was probably, you know, a very young teenager when when Nakia was was dating T'Challa. And so she probably has a, like, a kind of, like, a role model kind of relationship with Nakia. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I love that. And I, and, I, and I got that so often. Um, I, can't, I, I, I kind of loved all of the stuff with... Um, Mbaku as well. That Mbaku <laughs> felt so like, you know, such an ingrained part of that world and someone who like had a very distinct part in, in, to play in the world of Wakanda and its history. Um and had and had kind of baggage and relationships with the rest of Wakanda and the rest of the tribes of Wakanda. Uh but and also had his complete own thing going on separately. I know we don't get to see it, but I'd like to think that Angela Bassett's Ramonda had a big part in him showing up in that final battle. Um, oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. There's, uh, a, there's a, delete, there's a deleted, to, yeah. there's, there's a deleted scene going on there, isn't there? There's definitely a scene. I, do, I mean, I, I sort of get it because it's. I struggle to think where they might have slotted that in once everything was going down in that final battle. So I, I get why they would have to delete such a scene, but I'm sure she had a hand in that. Because um, yeah, even I mean. <laughs> <laughs> they have so they, have, they make sure all the women have a part to play, even to the point where Killmonger's squeeze, she uh, she sort of you know disables the cameras in that first scene we see Killmonger. Even she has a part to play in everything that they're doing. It's really impressive. Um, but yeah, now uh, the the women of of what kind? I mean, you 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 come out of this film wanting spin-off movies for everybody. Um, yeah. yeah, which is <laughs> incredible. I remember um, when we were seeing the um, cast list for Infinity War, and I kept, I, I kept seeing, oh yeah, Winston Duke's in it. I was like, really? Oh, okay. <laughs> I, was, I mean, what is it? Is isn't he supposed to be like tier three baddie in this movie underneath Michael B. Jordan and um, Andy Serkis? Like, yeah. I mean, fine, I, I guess, but like. Are you just going to throw everyone from Black Panther into Infinity War then? And you walk out of this movie going, 
Oh, brilliant. Mbaku's going to be in Infinity War. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's, uh, honestly, he, he's the one who gets sort of most improved. Every time I watch it, he's, he gets better and better. And I, I find myself quoting him the most. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we have watched from the mountains and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, his opening speech to, to Charlo is great. Um, but yeah, and, and his, he probably gets the biggest laughs in the movie as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then, are you done? Are you done? Which is great. <laughs> um, but yeah. But uh, like, and also, th- there is a guy, uh, like, who they've taken kind of like a, a lower tier villain from the comics who, uh, I mean, you know, good that they dropped the Mane name. Uh, yeah, obvious reasons. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and kind of it brought a character into this movie who, has again surprising nuance that like yes he is a guy who is coming to challenge Richard Charles throne he is having a big old ruck with him at the start of the movie to try and to try and win the throne for himself because of the history that his tribe has with the rest of the tribes of Wakanda he loses and he he accepts that we hate T'Challa he accepts that he lost he lost that fight and walks away and that he, while you know, even if he hadn't have turned up in that final battle sequence, I love the kind of just the, you know, I, I, he could have accepted the herb and eaten it and, you know, mm-hmm. been like, and gone on and like, you could have had like the battle of two evils between Killmonger and uh, Mbaku at the end. But he does it. He just, I love the way he silently kind of stands up and he's like, here, going to show you. And you're like, there's, there is a character with a, an incredible amount of dignity. Um, and yeah, I, I I thought he was I thought he was phenomenal. Uh, but I kept I kept thinking that about characters in this movie. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's amazing because normally when you come out of a movie, especially a blockbuster movie, you you, you got the protagonist, you got the antagonist. You may be thinking about one or two other characters who you really have gotten to know, and you know you care about and. You know, by the end of the film, you know, you're still thinking about this one has about five. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> that's just it kind of on the point where, as I said earlier, in that final act, you know where everybody is, you know what everyone's trying to do. Um, and you're invested really, in all of them. And you're invested in all of it. And the fact that I mean, one of the things I love about this film, it sets up so many details which you're not going to need to know until later without mm. you without you feeling like you're being sort of the, the exposition dump is happening right now for instance i think the perfect example of this was when ross wakes up to shuri in that scene we get shuri working on her gauntlets which we'll see in the final battle we get um the explanation that ross is a great pilot which we'll need for the final battle and we get the explanation about the the train tracks and vibranium and everything else, which we'll see in the final battle. And that scene is funny. None of that feels like exposition, but we now know three things that we that will that will need to sort of come back to for the final battle. It's just it's really really it's a really good screenplay, really tight. That was really you've, impressive. I, you've bedded in the idea of the kind of the the technology being piloted remotely in the first act as well, mm-hmm. which yep. has a use in the first act, but it's also important for later. Um, Chekhov's VR wanna... vehicle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> do we want to talk about the white guys? <laughs> the the thing I find funny <laughs> about um, what's his name, Hobbit dude Sherlock. <laughs> 
Martin, Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman. Martin Freeman. Yeah. The thing I found funny about Martin Freeman was that at the end of the film, you don't even know if he's alive or dead. Like the last you see is he runs off and the lab explodes. Yeah. And then it's not until he turns up in the post credits, you're like, oh, I guess he made it out. <laughs> and it's like, you can sort of imagine that in previous films, like maybe some of the characters of color might have been treated that badly. And like, I think, I think, so, it, yeah. I think it's more, it's, it wasn't like a deliberate shot. It was just something that was sort of inelegant in the execution. I think he's, I think he's fine in this movie. I think he serves a function. Which is, and I, and I really appreciated the fact that they didn't use him as a kind of like, <laughs> here is, here is, uh, here is your guy to kind of like bring you into this world and like you can experience Wakanda as he's experiencing yeah, it. Yeah, I think because if they had done that, it would have been fucking embarrassing. Yeah, yeah. so we, ex- <laughs> we experienced Wakanda in the first act of the movie. By the time that Martin Freeman gets there in the second act and sees it all and is kind of like mind blown by it and kind of going, Wow, holy shit, you guys, this is this is incredible. The the world is beautiful. This is all wow. You're like, yeah, dude. Yeah. We we experienced that half an hour ago and yeah, mm. it's it's but I, I, I think he I think he functions as a good solid link to the MCU and um a kind of a way to mitigate all of to mitigate the stuff that goes on in the first hour of the movie becoming like a, a a wider MCU distraction like why aren't more people paying attention to this because there is because the CIA are on top of it and that's kind of all we need to know why is why why isn't I don't know like uh reincarnated Coulson and Nick Fury and all of the <laughs> and all of the Marvel business why are they not all more yeah. concerned about this why stuff isn't Tony Stark out? trying to buy up vibranium like, yeah because there are people who handle it and then they give him something to do in the final act, which plays a part in 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 the kind of wider scale of things. It gives Shuri kind of two things to do, which give her as many things to do as possible. Um, as far as I'm concerned, um, and it and it doesn't really distract and it doesn't take away. Uh, so I thought Freeman fine, and I think I think kind of that is the only way I wouldn't want to walk away from this movie going. Whoa, Freeman! He really, he really stole the show, didn't he? That would not be good. Um, and also, do, he still can't do an American accent, though. Oh no! <laughs> well, I mean, this is this is a you know his Sherlock co-star is still outdoing him there. So, <laughs> um, what about um, what about Claw though? Again, uh, I was surprised that he got killed off. Uh, not quite as surprised as uh, as <laughs> as he was Killmonger getting killed off, um, but I thought he was uh, I I thought he was fun in that first half hour of the movie, and I I liked that he was like um, I liked that he was like public enemy number one in Wakanda, and yeah. I thought it was a really smart way to kind of sow that internal conflict within Wakanda um, for Killmonger to kill him. Um, and yeah, yeah, so I, I was actually, I, I was kind of, again, like, I thought it was really, really well judged the extent to which they used Andy Serkis. And I mean, and Andy Serkis is one of those actors who is very over the top in most of the performances that he gives. I think he's at his best when he's allowed, outside of it, this is in his live action performances, I mean, but when he's allowed to kind of like let rip 
um, and ham it up a bit. And <laughs> there was definitely a lot of hamming up in this. <laughs> yeah, that, that that interrogation scene is a lot of fun. What when he's singing? That was great. Yes. Um, <laughs> Yeah, no, he's he's definitely having a lot of fun, and we are definitely having a lot of fun watching him watching him in this movie. I think I think he's yeah. And but I think we get the perfect amount of him. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I don't, I, th- I don't think we needed more core in any sequels. I, he's he's done his bit. Yeah, no, he's definitely served his purpose. Yeah, um, and he's fun, and also uh, I would say definitely the most charismatic one-armed character in this movie. <laughs> that I second post-credit scene, you guys. Fuck <laughs> me. Oh, do we have to end this um, uh, this like amazing movie with like like zooming in on old misery chops, Bucky Barnes? How, his... how many Marvel films are going to end with like, hey, it's Bucky Barnes? <laughs> this is like what, like the tenth now? Okay, so we've been reminded that he is in Wakanda. <laughs> for anyone who'd forgot. Great. What what happens in that post credit scene? He walks out, well, not, he has a look around, and then... Yeah, it's well, just no, for it's anyone just, who hasn't I, seen I, the trailer for Infinity War to know that he is awake now. Well, no, I think it's just, uh, yeah, unfixed. Yeah, because we, we, see, we see him... Look, I'm with Bucky to the end of the line, Joe. Okay, no, fuck that guy. <laughs> this is a, this is a movie where if if like Chadwick Boseman like decides that he doesn't want to play Black Panther ever again, he rips up his contract. You have multiple options of like, and this is the person who's going to take over the suit because there like there are so many amazing characters around him. How the fuck has Bucky Barnes got into the position where he is like the most likely in Captain America's they are, world? They're never going to do that because Sebastian Stan because... is not up to it. But uh, I, again, I've heard that he's good in other things, but he's just so entirely personalityless in this movie. Like, how many people play a one-armed character in a movie when they end up as the least charismatic one-armed character? <laughs> it's just it's a hard thing to do. I'm not even I'm just... not even shitting you. I I saw The Martian and I didn't notice he was in it. <laughs> uh, I could allow uh, yeah. him, guys. He's just had his brain sort of messed with. Okay, he's trying to get back to being him again. When we're talking about characters who have served their purpose in the MCU, <laughs> 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 goodness gracious! Wait, why are we talking about Sebastian Stan when we could be talking about Okoye? Yes. Oh yeah. So that was. That was the one character that I was really looking forward to digging into. I watched I watched Walking Dead for longer than I should have. Um, I, I got I got like I don't know. Uh, I got past all of the David Morrissey stuff. Um, I, I I can't remember how far. Maybe maybe another season, season and a half past that. Um, and I thought Denigria is good. You know, I, I liked her when she turned up. She was definitely like a, a presence. Who did she play? Sorry. Uh, she plays Michonne. Okay. Um, here she's something else. So she kind of turns up and she immediately has the physical presence that Florence Kasumba had in Civil War. Um, but she's allowed to speak. And that probably because she's a, she's a very good actress. And again, when you, when you look at the, this character and think about how much is going on with this character, with this person who, in the Dora Milaje, has this role in Wakanda, is kind of feeling 
like her role is to serve the state and not the head of state. And so when she sees the rules being complied with, she is compelled to follow them. Um, but she also has these personal relationships with Nakia and, uh, and with the, the other members of the Dora Milaje and, 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 and with Shuri and, and with T'Challa. And you add all of that, add to all of that her fucking badass physicality whenever it gets to an action sequence. She's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. I just, I think she, she's right there with Shuri and Mbaku. I, I, I'm actually all the supporting her, but I think she, she's right there for me in terms of my favorite supporting characters. Before I get on to her specifically, I just wanted to bring up the attention to detail again for the Dora Milaje. Cause, um, I watched the featurette on, on them in the build up to this film and, Dan Iger was talking about how they were trained to fight as a unit. Um, and you can see that in the film, in their fight with Killmonger. Yeah. The only, the reason why, um, the, the Dora who Killmonger kills is killed is because she strays from her squad. Yeah. There were several different ways they could have written that scene, but the way in which they've done it sort of makes sense for both sets of characters. It's that sort of thing which just makes me think they, they really paid attention to everything and, you know, to bring that to the screenplay in a smart, clever way like that. It just is really impressive to me. Um, but yeah, Okoye is great. I think that, that, that conflict she has between the loyalty, as you mentioned, is really, really well brought to the screen, especially when you, um, play that off against Nakia's war dog, um, who, you know, obviously has that relationship with T'Challa and she's trying to save Wakanda in a different way, uh, playing those two characters off against against each other, even if it's only for a couple of scenes, were really effective. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought she was absolutely fantastic. Um, shall we talk a little bit more about the actual, the kind of the the ideological conflicts at the center of this movie? And uh, you know, obviously, it gives us a bit more of a chance to talk about Killmonger um, <laughs> as a character because. I think he is, uh, for me, like all all of these other characters are great and they're scene stealers, but the the kind of the intensity of Killmonger from start to finish and the kind of the... So when we talk about, when I talk about T'Challa and say about how like so much of his struggle has to be internal, um, it's exactly the opposite with Killmonger where... He says exactly what is bothering him. He says exactly how he thinks that the world should be different. How um, how Wakanda needs to change. Um, and I thought it was interesting how, you know, when he's introduced, like it's after he's won that, you know, he's he's come. He's, he's kind of stated his ideology. He's defeated T'Challa completely fairly in that battle. Um, he's just bested him and he goes down and, you know, he has, he has that scene with his own father. Um, and I think that the movie at that point, you are so, you're so close to being on Killmonger's side that it has to be immediately followed up with him grabbing that woman by the throat and then burning all of the heart shade, heart shade herbs, heart shaped herbs, <laughs> um, 
Because you need to be reminded that he's the villain. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. did either of you, do either of you guys yeah, get to that point I and go? Got the sense that like we have to make him do some horrible shit now, otherwise you're gonna like him too much. <laughs> yeah, and like he is, he is kind of like a, an advisor away from being what T'Challa is at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, like he's he's just someone sitting down and talking to him and saying, "I mean, I, I guess that, that I, and I guess the reason they killed him off is because." He's so intense and he's so so raw and emotional and he's so driven by this kind of like burning anger at the way that like his people have been treated badly, but there and the sense of betrayal that you know why was why why was my father treated like this? Why have I experienced life the way I've experienced it growing up as a black man in America? When when Wakanda is here, and not only that, like Wakanda has betrayed <clears throat> betrayed me. Like I I, I am Wakanda. Say, yeah, My I was going to say one of Wakanda. the one of the good things about him as a villain is that he is the creation of Wakanda in a sort of yep. direct way. And you know, obviously, he's a product of like American racism or whatever. Mm-hmm. But if T'Challa's father hadn't taken the actions he took. You know, he wouldn't be coming back to Wakanda because he'd have grown up with a father who loved yeah. him. Mm. Yeah, again, it's that it's that interesting. There's there's some there's more similarities between T'Challa and Killmonger than there are differences. It's just that the big difference is the murdery aspect of Killmonger. <laughs> um, but, but that, like yeah. the thing, he's that's mur- one of the things he's I murdered liked. a lot of fucking people. You guys, did you see all of those scars? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So Cerise afterwards, he was like, you know, after he like killed his girlfriend, he had to quickly gouge into his chest on the way on the on the flight on the way on the way to Wakanda. Like, quick, I'm sure. gotta give myself a couple more. I'm sure if there's not already, there'll be a, a meme on tw- on Twitter. Like, you want, you want to know how I got these scars with Killmonger? Um, but Amazing. oh, I had something in my head that I was going to say, and that's just gone. Um, well, uh, one thing I want to say is that like I re- the thing I really appreciate about him as a villain is that like he emerged entirely from all the themes of the film. And I think the film itself is really strong thematically because it has lots of ideas, but they all dovetail together. Like there's nothing where you're sitting there going like, Oh, that was just a throwaway idea. Like it's all in there and it's all working towards the same goal. Yeah. It's just, yeah. um, Like it's a really smart screenplay. I thought, and that's one of the reasons. There's so much going on that I don't, I, I, I kind of feel like I need to see it again to appreciate all of the stuff that 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 it that it tries to delve into. I mean, I mean, God, that last line from from oh, uh, Killmonger from Killmonger when he's dying. What 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 is it he says exactly? Uh, Amor? Uh, let's see. Let's see if I, I should say I'd rather. Let's say I'd. Um, uh, you should throw me in the sea with my ancestors because they knew death was. More what was better than bondage? Something, something along those lines. Yeah, that, like, um, that yeah. my jaw dropped. Yeah, because like the yeah. idea, like you've got a mass market superhero movie, and that's the idea they leave you with. Like it's fucking mm. incredible. Like just the balls yeah. of that idea. Yeah, it's big. It's I, big. I mean, we we talk about kind of great superhero movie performances. I, I. <sighs> 
I, I think Michael B. Jordan's probably not in this movie <laughs> enough to kind of get any like awards attention this time next year. Um, but I think he's that good. I mean, Again, it, like, it I certainly makes up for Fantastic Four, doesn't it? <laughs> no, I, I mean, I think that, that I, I tweeted this or somebody else tweeted it, but they said the MCU was a rehabilitation center for human torches, <laughs> which is absolutely spot on. Um, but, uh, yeah, now he is fantastic in this movie. Even, even just the little moments, like when he kills that door and he gives a little snigger on his face before the mask goes back on little touches like that just yeah it's it's hard to take your eyes off him he's he's really really good but and and because uh, this is again a villain who whilst doing that hugely villainous shit what he's saying out loud makes complete sense when when he kills the the person the people in the museum the argument that he's presenting is hard to refute and when when he tells T'Challa kind of how he has been wronged by Wakanda and how Wakanda has badly treated um you know the the other black people around the world in in the you know in the world of this movie it makes it makes complete sense this i this isolationist state who has the means and the technology to make a difference and has sat back and chosen not to. It's it it's it's really really compelling stuff. And I think that's you know the best the best villains are the villains who kind of like they they their point is strong. It's just the means of how they go about it that's that's not so great. Mm. Um, yeah, it's just it's it's interesting <clears throat> just like how the the relationship between both. Um, Killmonger and his father and T'Challa and his father and how they're reflected in how 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 the fathers are reflected in their children is really interesting to me. Yeah. And how both of them have taken their grief and what they've done with, with that with that grief, both of those characters. And again, the the product of where they've been raised, all of that stuff comes down in very interesting ways. Well, you, yeah, it's, very, it's, it's very clever. You reminded me actually, like they make that point, don't they? Where they're like, uh, remind me what Killmonger's father's called. Injobu. Yeah, they were, they're like he's been he's been radicalized, yeah. and again that's a sort of point about colonialism, which is that if you like if you allow bad shit to happen to people, then they start getting more extreme. And it's like it's interesting that they kind of slip in this idea, like oh, you know, America created ISIS essentially, right? And like that's that's part of the fabric of the film is that if you have this sort of imperial effect on the world, like bad stuff will come out of it. I, I thought it was really interesting as well. So it it has it has all of that kind of the the colonialism, the global political side of stuff, um, but it also seems to very definitely have. Like you said, James, this movie could, in a way, only be made in America because it is so. It's so it, like the what's going on in kind of contemporary racial politics in America is unlike anywhere else really in the rest of the world. Um, and you know, I I thought that this movie at times was kind of making a direct parallel between uh, Killmonger and the Black Lives Matter movement, and almost that you know, kind of like. 
you have this movement with you know completely um completely understandable motives um which you know most right pe- thinking people would ve- find it very hard to disagree with and all it takes is you know a couple of people within that movement with a, the wrong idea of how they want to express it to kind of derail the whole argument um and you know uh, you know the, the 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 kind of retaliation shooting of cops that that went on in the last <laughs> in the last year or so by you know more extreme uh, people trying to co-op that movement for more extreme measures and i thought that that was kind of what the movie was hinting towards at certain points as well um and I was stunned again that that was something because you know this is a this is a black superhero movie, um, but I'm not necessarily expect, expecting it to bring all of these things to the table. Um, yeah, so I was I was in, incredibly impressed. You know, when when we talk about wanting superhero movies to be about something, this is what I'm talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I mean the, again. This is what, in my in my view, I think the first line of my view, I say this is Ryan Coogler's Black Panther movie, and I like that, and I'm really impressed by the fact that Marvel let him uh, go this far and really sort of you know make it as much of an auteur movie as he could. Ironically, the it's the parts where they're trying to do typical Marvel stuff well, <laughs> where the movie falls down a little bit, but everything about this which is clearly Ryan Coogler or Ryan Coogler isms is excellent. Um and yeah, that's that's just really impressive. If 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 Marvel haven't already signed them up for a sequel, they're doing something wrong. Yeah. They should, yeah, they should absolutely. get that done immediately. Um just drive dump trucks full of money to his house. I'm not but, um, I'm not even joking. I think like once the Russos are off Avengers, he's the guy to look at to do the next one. Because even like Ignore the sort of thematic ideas he brings to the table. Just the way he juggles this, like, fairly big cast of stars and all these plot threads and they all come together. Like, this is as as confident and assured a movie as Marvel has ever made. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm torn, I'm torn on that because whilst obviously I'd love to, a part of me would love to see that, Ryan Coogler movies, all three of them have been very, very personal. And Avengers movies, it's hard to make, I think there's hard, of all the movies to make personal, it's extremely difficult to make a film like Avengers personal. I mean, Joss it's, Whedon tried especially it with when Age he, of Ultron. So it depends how successful you think that was. Well, you already know my film's <laughs> Age of Ultron. Um, so, yeah. Aside from the filmmakers, though, I do, this, the way they establish Black Panther in this movie... Um, like I say, that that last scene, kind of the the first the post credit scene, reminding me of this, of the I am Iron Man sequence at the end of, you know, John Favreau's first movie. I also think that you're you're setting up T'Challa here as a, as a kind of Tony Stark figure, and I do wonder that you know we've been looking at who is going to be the anchor of the MCU moving past this. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's T'Challa or whether it's kind of the, like the wider the, the Wakandan characters, you, yeah, you can sort of see but actually you, like 
it's it's a very similar parallel that you are looking at. Wakanda is now going to come out into the you know into the wider world, engage with the wider world community, and kind of commit to trying to help the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Now their their isolationism doesn't compare to Tony Stark being an arms dealer, but it's a similar thing where there are going to be people in the outside world who go, "Hang on, where were you?" You know, I, I was thinking just just in the just in the MCU, I made that joke at the start of the podcast. But you know, it the Black Panther characters, it, it feels like those guys could have helped out during Age of Ultron, you know. <laughs> and that was, and there was shit going down in South Africa there. Well, yeah, because what like what you say is interesting because essentially what you've got is some characters who have a kind of past that they may feel they need to atone for. They've got huge financial and technological resources. And they have the will to change what's going on. And like that is essentially how Tony Stark has been used throughout the first two phases of the MCU. Yeah. And don't you badly want Tony Stark to meet Shuri and to be completely emasculated by her? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. that's Absolutely. a scene that you kind of, you feel has to happen in the Avengers, in the Avengers Infinity War. <laughs> it has to happen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, as much as there is a lot set up here that will be fantastic to revisit and, you know, characters, the world of Wakanda, um, we've talked about Killmonger a lot, but I mean, raise a glass to those we lost. So I'm running down just the main cast list here. Uh, Killmonger's gone. Claw's gone. Zuri is gone. Now, Zuri is one of those characters. He is this, he is this film Stanley Tucci. Um, yeah, you know, like uh, this mentor figure who is not around for long, but kind of makes uh, kind of makes a lasting impression. And you're right, I'm on that scene in the middle where those two talk and Ziri uh, reveals what actually happened in the sequence that we see pre-credits. Um, I've got to say, very, I, very I, reminiscent of Civil War, by the way, in terms of coming back to that scene three times it did the same thing in Civil War sorry to get you off oh, just I, I just great reveal that that character from the start was Zuri because no I've seen young Forrest Whitaker <laughs> I saw it in uh, Fast Times at Richmond High that is not what Forrest Whitaker looked like when he was younger not in any small way and by small way I mean like that guy is literally a foot shorter and a foot like less girthy than Forrest Whitaker, who was a man mountain from the age of about eleven, um, <laughs> so I, I slight I slightly raise a raise an eyebrow at that casting. Um, but yeah, I mean you're right. That's I I really like the way that we kept revisiting that scene, and I was just wondering. So how how do you guys read the um, Unjobu stuff? Because I mean, first of all, as, as soon as I jokingly it flashes up, and it's like. Los Angeles, nineteen ninety-two, or what? was it? Oakland, nineteen ninety-two. Yeah, um, Oakland, ninety-two. And I kind of went over to Reese and I was like, "Oh, are we going to get some Haley Atwell again?" And and he was mm-hmm. like, uh, "And he knew. I think he must have read. He was like, he was like, no, it's better.' Oh, yeah. And then Sterling K. Brown turns up, and I'm like, "Yeah, okay." <laughs> um, who is who's just fantastic in everything he does, whether it's act, acting or accepting awards. He's great at doing both of them. Um, and so he turns up, and I was just wondering, so how, how do it? How has that finally unraveled? Because I, I was slightly unclear. So was he smuggling vibranium out of Wakanda? 
he was planning to sell vibranium based weapons to people or maybe give even but to people in Los Angeles and yeah. and and he had done that because he had been to Los Angeles he'd seen the yeah, way he, that the he'd black been community embedded was as a Wakandan there. spy for the rest of the world and having seen how the black community was being treated there decided to help them by giving them and I, weapons and was punished I, for that and I guess 1992 Oakland <clears> is not uh you know that's not it's no coincidence that's a uh, that's the LA riots, isn't it? Yeah. You know, that's that's yeah. a very mm-hmm. it's a I kind of had, like I think they had it on the TV. Yeah. Did, right, did they yeah. even show Rodney King? Was that in there? Well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure about that, but I know they had something playing on the TV yeah. about. Yeah. 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 Okay. So and so he was going to sell the weapons, and so but I guess he's in in his mind, and I think probably in, in an even more relatable way to ultimately the methods we see his son. What he's going is. I come from a country that has the means to help. I know my country isn't going to try and help. So this is what I'm Yeah, this I'm going to take matters into my own hands. Yeah. yeah. And so then T'Chaka turns up and says, I know what you've been doing. You need to come back with me. And it's it's only when Njobu kind of realises that Zuri has betrayed him and sends his gun on Zuri... That's when Chaka yeah, it's kills because him. he tries to kill another Wakandan. That yeah, that's it. He's like fully broken the code, and that is yeah. wrong because Wakanda forever, yeah. as we learn. <laughs> yeah, I love. Oh, oh I sorry, love that's how... well. Wakanda uh, forever. Cool. I, <laughs> <laughs> I kept just... that was the other thing that I kept doing throughout the movie. I kept leaning over to Reese and going, "That was cool. That was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> this is cool." Remind me never to sit next to you while watching the movie. Um... <laughs> <laughs> but you just you just reminded me I love how they tie that Wakanda Forever salute into everything. Mm-hmm. Because they tie they tie it in even from the very first action sequence when Wakanda is dropping out the ship, he's doing the Wakanda Forever symbol. When obviously um sort of he's coronated and all everything to the Dorm the Dormalage, they do the Wakanda Forever symbol. Even in the final act when Ross is in the spaceship, when he does that special move with the spaceship, what kind of forever symbol? Mm-hmm. And and it's the same thing with the um, with the suit that um, Zuri that that Shuri, Shuri's made for both the the one which the Chala wears and the one which Killmonger eventually wears. The special move, the what kind of forever symbol? They tie it into everything, mm-hmm. and I think that's very clever. What do you think of the suits? The new suits. I think it will look, I mean, I, I'm very intrigued to see how the Russos will handle the Black Panther action in Infinity War. Because as I say, just going off of Civil War, they have a much better handle on T- T'Challa in action than this movie did. There was just a bit, even, a bit even, more to even, the physics of him, I thought, in Civil War. The way he yeah. kind of, in that scene where he runs on the ground and it feels like a guy who is running without yeah. any shoes on. But that it has this incredible dexterity and this, yeah, this cat-like movement to him, which I think we lost here. Even though I have to say, especially the first time I saw it, when T'Challa is in that car chase and he tilted the car as it was still going, <laughs> I, I may, I may have jumped in my seat. Um, that was the one moment in that <laughs> sequence I was like, oh yes, yeah, <laughs> that was so cool. I absolutely loved that. Yeah. Um, 
But uh, yeah, I mean that that sequence is definitely from from the casino to the car chase is definitely the high point in the movie. Um, it's a Bond movie that. for twenty minutes. Yeah. It's brilliant. That, when we first go that. down into Shiri's lab, and I'm like, Hugh, it, it, from a completely <laughs> different angle, this is brilliant. The one thing yeah. I thought that is, if Marvel don't bring a big enough dump truck around to get Ryan Googler to direct the next Black Panther movie. Eon, get around there with uh, with some money for the next Bond movie. Oh, I would <laughs> love to see that Bond film where, like, Bond yeah. is facing colonialism. We need to. <laughs> at some point, there is there is a long form essay to be written about James Bond's influence on the superhero genre because the amount mm. of times that we end up talking Bond on <laughs> on this podcast, mm-hmm. it's it's ridiculous. Not maybe not just superheroes, but the the comic book you know, comic book movies and, and comic books in general. I just feel like it's it's such a touchstone for superheroes that I don't think I don't, you I know, don't think I, it is as I much. I think for it the is more the movies than the comics to be honest. It is, yeah, but there are there are there are but bits. Yeah, and I think it's it's baked very heavily into the movie into the genre. Yeah. In the movies. Anyway, sure. sorry. Side side point, yes, everything that goes on I just wanted to mention sort of one more thing in that in that car chase. And there's, there's another cool bit, but the bit where sort of um, what's his name, Claw blows up the car that Okoye and Akio, and and then Okoye grabs the spear and then lands on a piece of the car. Oh yeah, that is super cool. Um, yeah, and so it's bookend, bookended by a great gag with uh, Akio <laughs> sort of in the in the seat, which is great. Um, but yeah, there, there's a lot of really cool stuff in that scene and. and I think a testament to this movie, it did that does that cool thing where even though we've seen things in trailers and TV spots and whatnot so many times, when you're watching it for the first time in the film with all the context, it still has a massive impact. Like I'd seen that T'Challa sort of changes into the suit and then jumps backwards and lands on the car scene so many times, but when I watched it for the first time in the film, it's so cool. <laughs> that's what that's one that's one of the you know few sort of really flashy special effects which they absolutely nailed um so i love that bit i love the bit where he takes out claw's car and the dialogue between panther and claw and that bit is really cool too i really like that every breath you take as a mercy for me (laughs) (laughs) i love so when i spoke at the start of the podcast about you know uh some some slight quibbles that i had with the movie coming out and um I think this is a movie. The the more you dig into the stuff that works, the less and less important the stuff that doesn't work becomes. I mean, talking about all the stuff that we talked about for the past half hour or so, how much do I care that the final action sequence was a bit rubbish? Because it was only half of the final action sequence. Because the stuff going on above ground was awesome. There were yeah. rhinos, you guys, <laughs> bloody armored rhinos. Yeah. Yeah, Again. I mean that's where that's where I've been since I saw the film, which is that like okay, third act was a bit weak. What third act isn't a bit weak? Like I just I don't care because everything else was so mm. good. Mm. You guys, Thanos uh, uh, is going to the... turn up in Wakanda, and one of those rhinos is going to trample all over him, and the movie's going to be over. <laughs> Ooh, just very quickly, on, on... do you think the Soul Stone is at the center of the mountain of vibranium? S- so yes, no. yeah, that was that was what I walked out of the movie going. Okay, so the the. Mountain of Vibranium, which they can mine, and which has led to these heart-shaped herbs growing, which 
when you eat them, the first thing that happens is that you go to um, the ancestral plane. Yeah, so they are being affected by the soul stone. That soul stone is somewhere in the vibranium, probably at the center of it. And that's why the big final sequence is going on at Wakanda, because the stone is... Or maybe the stone is the vibranium, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I mean, I I watched sort of an interview with Ryan Coogley. He answered the question. He said the reason why the stone is not in this movie is because vibranium is already special enough and they didn't want another MacGuffin in the movie. Oh, yeah. And I completely get that. Um, So I'm not sure. A part of me is surprised that they didn't have anything to do with it, the stone in this movie, because... It would just have been one more order of business which they wouldn't have to deal with in Infinity War, which was already going to have like about 50 different spinning plates. So the fact that we now still have to deal with the Soul Stone in Infinity War, I just think just having it done in this film. But I mean, uh, even though, even though even though I like the way that they've done it, oh uh, yeah, I, they've done like, it I never expected the Soul Stone to be in this film, to be honest, because I thought they've got to save something back for Infinity War. But also, well, Infinity War, I would not be like surprised it's... if it turned out to be connected to Wakanda. From the way that we've seen Infinity War in the trailer so far, it feels like that the the events are split between three different areas. There is the kind of the American side of things with Stark and Doctor Strange and Banner. Mm-hmm. That you've got the um, space side of things with Thor and the Guardians. Then you've got the Wakandan side of things. And I wonder whether that you are going to see that like there are three stones left for Thanos to get. There is one up in space, there is one in Vision's head, and there is one in the centre of Wakanda. Mm-hmm. And we are watching the Avengers try and protect those three stones. And I, mean, and I imagine if nothing fail. else, if nothing else, we've seen that eating the herb gives you a chance to commune with the dead. Yes, and we've and got soul stone. That is very soul stony. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree with that. And I do wonder whether and I, I'm just trying to remember, I, I would need to rewatch Age of Ultron. Fortunately, we've got the world's primary Age of Ultron expert here. But all of those, <laughs> all of those kind of, um, the, the kind of the dream sequences that they have in the middle of that movie. I know that there is Scarlet Witch business going on, but I'm just wondering whether, given that that sequence kind of takes place around Vibranium, and, you know, we see, uh, Steve going back, and I'm not even sure, was Peggy dead at that point? When he goes back and he did, like imagines no, having his dance she, with Peggy. She dies in no, Civil Peggy's War. there. Is she dead? She, or is she still alive? She dies in, at she that dies point, in Civil Peggy's War. Alive. She dies yeah, in Civil War. Is, okay. Which is after Asia. Yeah. I don't know. I'm just wondering whether there's any whether we've missed any business with vibranium and and any kind of visions or communing or anything like that. Maybe not. I don't think so. It's Probably a shame not. though. I mean I was I've been talking into certain people and there's a really rich history between Captain America and T'Chaka and T'Challa and Wakanda in the comics, which we'll never get to see in the MCU, which is a bit of a shame. Um, hey, but, what, um, what are you suggesting? Are you suggesting that Chris Evans isn't going to be around for much longer? <laughs> in the MCU? <laughs> crazy, no. That's crazy. That's, why that's why you that's spending why seeding, so much time with Bucky. Yeah, that's why they're seeding <laughs> Sebastian Stan as the next Captain America, right? Anthony Mackie for Captain America, please. Thank you. <laughs> so genuinely, at the start of the movie, when there was those kids playing basketball outside the building, and I was like, "It's like this is so this is this some some black kids playing basketball in 1992." We seem to be focusing on them for a reason. I don't know. It's one of them 
Falcon or something. And then obviously we find mm. out that one like that the guy inside is mm. Killmonger's dad and that the kid was Killmonger himself. I love, I, love um, I want I want to talk about that actually for a second because, but just like from the moment go, I mean, we haven't really talked about how unapologetically black this movie is. And I'm telling you, it's, it's special. It's special. When you, when you sort of look at the scene where, you know, you got three, you got Chadwick Boseman, Lupita Nyong'o and Danai Gurira dressed to the nines in a very Bond-ish looking scene. And they walk into a casino, and Kendrick Lamar is playing. <laughs> when you oh the music, you, come on the music! Oh my god, Holy the music shit. is amazing. The music is amazing. I ju- I spent the last sort of twenty four hours listening to Ludwig Göransson's score on repeat, and it's just amazing. Uh. Ludwig Göransson, by the way, he scored Creed. If you have not listened to the score for Creed, you need to rectify that. You just need to pause this podcast right now and play that right now. It's that go, good. Go watch Creed. Um, Creed is amazing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just. The soundtrack is amazing, and you know the just having having the film open on uh, not only sort of you got that scene with just kids playing basketball in Oakland, you got the that that animation at the beginning. Oh, the animation people, was gorgeous! <laughs> was gorgeous animation at the beginning. People using you know you know thick African accents uh, talking about the creation of this world. I mean. I, there's so many things. I mean, we're saying earlier about how there's so many things we haven't seen before in this film, and it's all coming to a head in this film. How many times have you seen this? This is the most subtitles any Marvel film has had by far. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and you got people. I mean, that those every scene in the ancestral plane between T'Chaka and T'Challa is so moving and touching for so many reasons, and very Lion King esque for you no know, obvious reasons. But yeah, it's just. This movie is, I mean, as we said, it's, it's universal, but the things it does to cater for a black audience is really, it's, it's really mean, impressive it, and really, in, in a big way. And all, all the way down to the, you know, the, the little colloquialisms, like when, uh, Killmonger says he wants the throne, and then you have those Nigerian women go back, <laughs> like, all that sort of stuff, you know, even when Mbaku is talking to, to Charlie when he's challenging him, the accent he's using and the colloquialisms, the, the authenticity, is big and it's just I mean there, there are other people who could have made a Black Panther movie but if it's not a person of color it's not if it's not a person like Ryan Coogler behind the lens there's so much which wouldn't be in the film um I like, don't not, like, you know you, you couldn't make this movie you couldn't make a Black Panther movie with a white filmmaker and I've seen people try and make the argument before that you know like you know any film should be able to make be made by any person but just like you're just not going to have that intimacy of like you're not going to have that detail it's, yeah <laughs> i mean i'll like, tell you, you the can, one you thing can, someone can sit down and make the philosophical arguments yeah, perhaps but you but would not can't... have the anger yes yeah absolutely yeah. yeah yeah um i i'm so glad this is, I think, the first time uh, this happened similarly when we watched uh, Logan and then did the podcast on Logan. Uh, but I think to a greater extent that I came into the podcast and like I'm walking away from the podcast having it, like the movie has grown in my estimation, in my <laughs> brain, as we've been discussing it um, and remembering aspects and, 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 you know, kind of being pointed towards like, Oh, but remember this scene and remember that scene. I'm going, 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, to the point that, like, the stuff that I was saying at the start of the podcast that I was bothered about, it's just, it it, 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 feels, a, it feels a lot more distant now, and I, I would really like to go back and revisit this movie as soon as possible. And I'm sure I will, because, uh, I mean, it's the most rewatchable movie in cinemas since The Greatest Showman. <laughs> I, I don't disagree. I love the greatest show. Yeah, no, no the soundtrack more. is fire. Oh, let's let's get ourselves to a sing along screening ASAP. <laughs> right, See, so you say that, but you know, I've already said I'm not sitting next to you in the film. So we're going to make this happen. I've spent I've spent the uh, three weeks since we saw the greatest showman uh, routinely turning to my wife and singing to the tune of the movie. This is the greatest joke. Oh, <laughs> How are you still together? Oh my god. <laughs> uh, uh, okay, so that was that was Black Panther. That was uh, pretty fucking awesome, you guys. I feel like we could do it all over again. Um Let's do it. I'm yeah. game. <laughs> um But uh that's that's it for this week's podcast. What what I do have to announce though before we go is what the pitch is going to be uh, on our mini-show next week. Um, Amon, you... Uh, I mean, our listeners will know from any of your previous appearances that one of the highlights of getting you on this podcast is hearing what you're going to come up with, with for the pitch. Um, <laughs> it is normally a thing of detailed beauty. Um, so, <laughs> listeners, do not fear. Just because uh, this uh, the, the pitch is no longer on the main episode does not mean you're not going to get Amon's uh, pitch. So here is what it is. What would be your ideal Black Panther spin-off movie to be made alongside Black Panther 2, obviously, um, in Marvel's Phase 4? Um, so I'm on, you're going to uh, record something and we're going we're gonna to play that out on the, uh, on the mini-side next week because how could we not, basically? How could we not? You I could, am indeed. You could do it for us now, but again, we could give Amon a couple of hours to come up with a pitch or we could give him a full week previously we've only given him a couple of hours imagine what he's going to come up with when he's had a full week to prepare <laughs> we might so have to release now. it as an episode on its own <laughs> bonus episode here is Amon's pitch for a Black Panther spin-off movie <laughs> I can't wait that's going to be great um, but yeah that's it that's it for this this week's podcast um Amon, thank you so much for uh, coming back and joining us uh, for our Black Panther podcast. Um, thank you for having me. I think um, I think we could have tried to do this without you. Uh, it would not have gone anything like as well. So, <laughs> so uh, thank you for thank you for joining us to talk about Black Panther. And uh, I feel like um, I feel like you won me round on a bunch of the stuff I was uh, I was I was quibbling about. Uh, yes. So, yeah, doesn't happen very often. But, uh, yeah, we, we, I'm on failed pre-podcast. We we're having a discussion about the first Transformers movie. Failed to win me round on my thoughts on this one. So, it's so not work like, in progress. It's not like I just listen to you on everything. Uh, but yeah, so uh, thanks for joining us. I'm sure. I'm sure it won't be too long before we uh, ask you to come back on the pod again. What, 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 where have you been here for before? Deadpool. Suicide Squad. Yep, and Iron Fist. Iron Fist. Uh, I think. Did you do, did you do Luke Cage? I can't remember. Oh yes, and Luke Cage. Yes, I did Luke Cage as well. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, mm. yeah, we'll we'll definitely have to get you back again soon. Um, 
Maybe we can just keep putting out Black Panther podcasts. <laughs> hey, not... you, you'd be guaranteed at least one listener, and that listener would be me. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's it for this week's show. Uh, we will be back next week uh, with a minisode with Amon's Pitch, so stay, <laughs> stay tuned for that. Um, if you're enjoying the show, then please do subscribe on, what am I saying now? Overcast, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice, and support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe. Um, you can find more episodes of the show at cinematicuniverse.com. You can get in touch via Facebook, on Twitter, at cine underscore verse. And don't forget, if you have pitches, uh, that you would like, uh, that you would like to contribute, we'll read them out on the minisode. So send those in through any of those means of communication. There is also editorial at cinematicuniverse.com if you want to get in touch via email. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Well, I hope you don't expect me to save you, because I don't do that anymore. Cinematic Universe returns in two weeks' time with Superman 3.